When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of the Yard. Man, did we ever take it on the chin this weekend on the baseball diamond. Like all of you, I'm frustrated. Matter of fact, I waited later in the day to see if my mood would improve before I recorded the show. You know, we look forward to college baseball season all year. Most of us do. You know, there are some people out there that think that college baseball is – an impediment to the rest of our athletic programs, and they're incorrect, but uh, they're certainly entitled to their their position uh, when it comes to that. I'll never begrudge anybody their own opinions. They've got their own reasonings, even if they're not rooted in fact. But the reality of it is is that um, this weekend was terrible. It was for second straight weekend. You know, we thought we hoped that maybe the Kentucky series was an anomaly. It wasn't. This is who we are. And we're two weekends into this. We've got eight weekends left, got eight more weeks of college baseball left. And at this point, there's not a lot of hope to think things continue beyond that. A chance to miss out on a postseason for the second consecutive year. Now, we felt like we had outgrown that sort of thing. Apparently, we haven't. And that's the most frustrating part of it all. And we knew that the run wouldn't last forever, but we thought maybe last year was a reset for us, a bit of a rebuild for us. We'd be right back in contention this year, and here we are, not even competitive in the Southeastern Conference. And I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial here. I don't know if we got a ton of SEC players, at least among our veteran group. I'm excited about this young group. I you know, think Bradley Lofton's going to be a star. I think Gerangelo... Sanchi's going to be a star. Hunter Hines already is a star. I think Ross Highfield is going to be a star. I think David Mershon's going to be a star. And so we're having to press those guys into service perhaps before they're fully ready, but that's the situation we're in. And that's really the rub in the whole thing. We shouldn't be in this position. We shouldn't be in a position that we're having to count on freshmen to go out there and put together a lineup for SEC weekends, and certainly not on the mound. That's one of the things that I think about. And maybe I'm naive in my thinking, but I don't believe so. We are Mississippi State baseball. We support this sport like no other. Nobody in the country does what we do attendance-wise. You want to play in a great environment, you want to play at a place where baseball matters, you come to Mississippi State. You win an AFL championship in 2021 – a little bit reluctant to get out there in a portal and kind of get loose with things. <clears throat> I get it. There's always the bit of nostalgia. You know, my impression of recruiting is maybe different than most. I think you always have to be adding to the top, period. No matter how much how successful you've been, no matter what you've accomplished, you've always got to be adding to the top and taking away from the bottom. Now, we had some guys that won an AFL championship with us that were role players. There were some guys that were um, minor contributors. And, and maybe last year you thought, you know what, I just won a national title with these guys. I can't run these guys off. Okay, so I get that. I do. 
I understand it. I can't say that I fully agree with it, but I understand that line of thinking. And then we had all these issues last year, and some of those guys were pressed in the service, and they, they, they proved they couldn't do it. It's not that they're not Division I baseball players. They're just not Southeastern Conference players. We processed some guys in the offseason, probably didn't process enough. But the thing that this absolutely befuddles me as your good friend and host is why we weren't able to go out there and attract more starting pitching. Now, I'm not, okay, the Paul Skeens thing, hey, we chased it, we did a great job, we thought we had him until the very end, goes to LSU, you know, and uh, having a good year down there, even though we took the loss on Friday. LSU still wins the series. Paul Skeens, arguably the best pitcher in America right now. But you can't put all your eggs in that basket. You mean to tell me there wasn't an ace from a G5 program in the portal that couldn't come in here and get us five or six innings? There wasn't a middle reliever out there? But it's amazing to me how we got into this position that we're having to piece this thing together on the weekend. Mississippi State should always have not one, but two established weekend starters every year. We should never have to struggle and scuffle around here and try to piece it together on a weekend. We should always have some guys that we know can go out there and keep us in a competitive ball game five or six innings every year, period. There's no excuse for that. That's the one thing that, you know, it's like you can say, yeah, we've had some injuries. That's true. That's 100% true. We have. We've had some injuries. But, guys, Mississippi State baseball should always have depth, always. It should never be a situation where you have a couple of guys get a little bit banged up and it wrecks your season. That happens at G5 programs. That doesn't happen at a place like Mississippi State. You got to fix it. You do. We're going to talk at length about that today. We're going to recap the ball games as much as we don't want to. But we're going to talk about the state of state baseball. We'll talk a little football stuff, some recruiting stuff. But that's uh, part of being a professional, right? I mean, yeah, it'd be easy for me to say, you know what, I'm not going to go to the game. I'm not even going to write about the game. I'm just going to be a fan. I'm going to just sit and pout in my own misery because I have higher expectations of baseball than this, and they're not meeting my expectations. I'm just going to take my, my laptop and go home. But that's not who I am. And I want to make sure you guys understand this too. I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I will be at every Mississippi State baseball game home or away as long as the season lasts. And if it ends in the regular season, then that's my final baseball game of the year. If we make it to Hoover, I'll be there too. And if somehow we catch fire late and make a regional, I'll be there too. But I'm going to be at every game. I can't speak for everybody else. I've got a job to do. And while I may not look like a professional, I am a professional. And so I'll be at the games to provide you coverage and to be there to ask the questions. That's one of the things that you want to talk about something that's gotten under my skin this year. And I'll be honest with you about it. Oh, you guys aren't asking hard enough questions. Well, you know, here's the deal. We've asked, we've asked Chris Lamontis, how did we get in this position? I asked him just Friday, you know, hey, you had some special dudes on the mound in 2021. You got some young guys that have a special quality. Why is there a gap? Why are there not more of these veteran guys that have that special quality? He didn't have an answer for that. Brian Haydad asked him, Coach, are you concerned about the trajectory of your program, not just the season, but the program? And it's like, you know, we go out there, and no matter how what we ask or how we ask, there's always somebody else. Oh, you should have said this. Chris Simonis doesn't work for me. 
I can't hold Chris accountable. I'm going to go in there and ask him some difficult questions, and if you don't think I've made him uncomfortable a few times in the time he's been here, you're kidding yourself. But it's not my job to go out there and interrogate Chris Lamonis. But I'm going to ask him difficult questions. I'm going to ask him some questions that make him uncomfortable. And that's the thing, too. When we win, hey, we'll go in there and smile and we'll laugh and have a good time. When we lose, you guys are owed answers. You're the caretakers of this program. You guys were wearing the M over S caps your whole lives. You were going out to Duty Noble in the sun-drenched left-field lounge when Chris Simonis was a college baseball player. You've been fans of this program before Chris got here. You'll be fans after he's gone. And so, yes, you have a right to know what's happening with your college baseball program, period. And my loyalty is to our program and our tradition and to all of you, more so than anybody else. Now, I want this thing to work out. I do. I think Chris Simonis is a very likable guy. You, know, you, you remember back in 2021, we won an Apple championship. That's what everybody said. You know, Chris is pushing all the right buttons. And he was. You don't win an Apple championship by accident. You don't lock into an AFL championship. Not even Fresno State or Coastal Carolina did that. They had veteran teams, good leadership. They had good coaching. You don't lock your way into winning the College World Series. If, that, if, we, if you could, we'd have done it many times because we, there have been many years that we've been the most talented team in the country. And for some reason or another, we weren't able to get over the hump. You don't think Clark Palmero, Thigpen, Brantley, those guys, they didn't deserve to win an AFL championship? They did. But they didn't. They didn't win it. And that's the thing that I go back to is like people are like some of the same people that were so ready for Ron Polk to retire. Let's just name him the interim coach. Guys, come on. Come on. Coach has done enough. Coach has done enough. Hey, Bulldog Burger Company, they're they're willing to do what they need to do to kind of maybe ease your concerns a little bit about life. They'll give you a great quality meal next to a, a good night's rest. There's nothing that beats a great meal. And uh, I actually went to the grill twice over the weekend and had a great meal both times. Had the, uh, the white chicken nachos, both meetings. Great. You can't get those at Bulldog Burger Company, but you can get the spring rolls there. How about that? You can go get those spring rolls. They'll make you better looking. The white chicken nachos, maybe they don't. But the spring rolls do. It's a great family of restaurants that knows a lot about feeding folks. They've become institutions in the Golden Triangle. Be sure and go check them out. Bulldog Burger Company with three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street in Tupelo, and then uh, Lake Harbor Drive in a rich and flowwood area. Be sure and go by and check them out. And uh, let them know we sent you. Let them know that we sent you. A lot of good feedback, too. I, I still get regular messages from people that, hey, we we're at Bulldog Burger Company today. Maybe it's for the first time, or it's a birthday celebration. It's nice that that's one of your favorite restaurants. When you have a chance, hey, we, we have a night out. Where would you like to go? Bulldog Burger Company. Because you're going to get consistent service and consistent product. You're going to get consistent pricing. That's one of the things I love about going. I know exactly what I'm going to get when I go to Bulldog Burger Company. I may not know exactly what I'm going to order, but I know the quality of an experience I'm going to have every single time I go to Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, as much as we don't want to, we're going to talk about these baseball games. And it's like people are like, well, you know, see, what can you say? Well, there's not much you can say. I mean, you know, the scores speak for themselves. And I, and I had this discussion in the post-game media room as we're waiting for Chris Simonis. And uh, I'm, this may step on some toes, and I'm okay. I hope it hurts. People are like, well, you know, I wish he would say this. I, I, don't, I don't really care what he says. Now, I've got to get quotes to write an article. 
But what's said in a post-game press conference is not going to win us another ballgame. It's not. Now, I've asked him before, what's his message to the fan base? He's answered that, hanging here with us. You know, hanging here with us. But the reality of it is, is no matter how much Chris Simonis gets up there and takes accountability and takes responsibility for his program, and it is his program, not a player on this team he didn't sign. And there's, and there's always those smarmy smart alecks out there. Well, these guys committed to this guy. Yeah, that doesn't matter. You still signed them. There were some guys that were committed to Andy Cannizzaro and John Cohen we didn't sign. So this coaching staff signed off on every signee in some respect. And if they're still here, it's because the coaching staff has decided to bring some sort of value to the team. But it doesn't matter how much Chris gets up there and says, hey, we should have done this, should have done that. It's on me. It's my program. And he has said those things. He has. It didn't score a single run the next day. It didn't get us another called strike three. It didn't. So I, my honest opinion is we need to worry less about what's said in press conferences because of what happens, you know, people get irrational and they get emotional, right? When we're losing, you can't say anything that people are, aren't going to misinterpret. I mean, it's like I, I'm in the press conference and then I'll go on Twitter and say, well, Lamona said this in the press conference, and he didn't. He didn't say it. It was the same thing with Mike Leach. We love Mississippi State baseball. And I want to give you, before I get into the breakdown of this first ball game, is one of the things I want to say. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. There are some of us out there that are overly optimistic about Mississippi State baseball. I'm probably one of those people. I admit it. It's because of the fact in my lifetime, it's been the one thing we can always count on, with rare exception. And when we don't have a good year, it doesn't always have to be a great year, but a good year when we're not competing for something, it's not good, right? And it's usually the anomaly. That, that's why people are so frustrated right now. It's because we're used to winning and winning big and competing for things. We're not just putting filled in a baseball team to remain a member of the Southeastern Conference. Not when you go out there and build that cathedral. But there are a lot of other people out there that some people consider negative, you know, there are some people, listen, I'm, I'm just, and it's a very, very small percentage. There are some people, no matter what we do, who we hire, how we do it, they're always going to be miserable. That is not a Mississippi State problem. That is a them problem. Never going to be satisfied, no matter what we do. If we went undefeated in every sport, they would still find something to complain about. Well, you know, there's not enough ice in the drinks. You know, they, they sell Powerade. I'm a Gatorade guy. There's always something, right? You know, why didn't Dr. Keenan bring in drinks in my seats? There's always something. But there's some other people out there, they just express their frustration differently than you. And they're mad. It doesn't mean they love Mississippi State any less. There are some people that are loyal to a fault that think the university never does anything incorrect. And I'm here to tell you that's completely false. That line of thinking is not helpful either. It's not helpful to think that everything we do is correct because it's not we we don't do everything correct and I, I could put a top 10 list together of things that we need to do better and maybe I will but even though we may disagree on how we voice our displeasure it doesn't mean that we're not a, fa- a family and fan base listen the, 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 the player aspect of it is not familial there are some guys that are part of the family and there are others that choose to leave right but as far as we go, 
those of us that choose to identify as Bulldogs, we are a family. Good, bad, or indifferent. Even when we disagree, we support the same university. We want the same thing, and that is for Mississippi State to win big in everything. That's what we want. If we're emotionally invested in it, we want to see State win. We do. And even though there are people that voice that frustration in a more bitter manner than you, doesn't make you a better fan. And it doesn't make them a lesser fan. I think it's important to understand that. It took me years to get to that point, to be quite honest with you. There were times in my life I felt like if people didn't agree with me, then they were just simply wrong. And this is, again, not a top ten list, because you know, I am right about that. But there, listen, there are some things that I'll say privately I'd never say on the show. i never write in a column. And you can say, but Steve, I thought you are professional. Well, I am. But it doesn't mean I'm always going to interject my personal feelings into an article. I'm just going to give you the facts. I'm going to give you the quotes. I'm going to frame them up. I'm going to give you the story. But I think it's important to understand, to give each other a little bit of grace here. Because some people feel like if you're not as angry as they are, you're not angry at all. That's not true either. I'm angry. And it's not just because of my love for Mississippi State. It impacts my ability to feed my family. When we're losing, people don't subscribe to our website. When we're losing, people don't listen to the show. People don't read our content. So not only does it hurt my feelings, it hurts my pocketbook. You know, I got skin in the game. But even if I didn't, I would not be happy with the performance of this baseball team. Period. It doesn't mean that I think less of any of these kids. I think they're all great young men from great families. But some of these guys are not getting it done. And it is okay to say that. I'm never a guy that's going to go out there and go after a kid. But I'll tell you, we got some guys on this team that don't need to be here. They're not good enough to play here. Now, it's one thing for young guys, because, you know, young guys get better. Right? They got time to develop. And you don't have the window to develop you used to have especially when now we're the transfer portal. If you come in and you can't hit the ground running and, and show some promise, they're going to get you on out of here. But there is a tradition and an expectation when you put that maroon and white uniform on that you're going to achieve excellence. And you're going to strive for it in every aspect of your game. You're going to strive for it in every aspect of your life, whether it be an off-season workout or whether it be an academic situation or a study hall or whatever. There is a different standard for college athletes. Fair or unfair, that is the truth. You can't go out in the Cotton District and get into a fist fight. You can't do it. You can't go out there and have an altercation at Hobie's and have an argument because everybody around is going to have a, have a camera phone. Because if you get into an argument or if you get too deep in a jug one night and you embarrass yourself, it's going to be news. Now, your, your classmate, you know, uh, from Bacatana, Mississippi, that's there to get a, uh, a degree in accounting, that guy can go out there and act as crazy as he wants to, and chances are it's not going to be newsworthy. But to whom much is given, much is required. That's not unique to state baseball. That's how life works. All right. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. 
What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20 minute video explaining step by step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do, I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so before I could even get saddled Friday, I took the day off Friday. I recorded the show with you guys, but uh, went out and spent Friday in the lounge with the wife. And before we could even get saddled, we're already losing. And I thought Gerangelo would go out there and give us a good start. You know, we had the four-run inning in the first against Kentucky. We thought, you know, ah, you know, first time in the SEC, you know, 38-degree weather. It'll be better. Did not have a good first inning. Get behind Enrique Bradfield, who hits a solo tank. It's one nothing, And they end up warning the vanity dugout. Great. We come right back, have a lengthy bat. We walk Diaz, and then Shrek hits a home run on the very first pitch. It's 3 nothing. We're three batters into the game. All three have scored. We get Bulger fly out to short. Austin strikes out swinging. Maldonado is hit by the pitch. Goes to second on a wild pitch. We get no one to strike out looking. Yes, it's a terrible first inning, but the lead is not insurmountable. You think, okay, a lot of baseball left. And there is. We open up with a double to left center from Imani. Ledbetter K's looking. Hines strikes out swinging. That can't happen. Chance then walks. And then Kellum Clark goes the opposite way here. It's an RBI single as Larry comes around and score. Now it's a 3-1 ball game. We think, okay, all right, we're in it. We're in it. Now we're just down two runs. Got eight innings left to play, or so we thought. And then Gerangelo goes out there and gets us a good, a good second inning. You get a strikeout swing, and you do give up a double. Ball, this ball is kind of pulled inside the bag at first. Brownfield grounds out, and then Diaz strikes out looking. So, you know, the game, we kind of hold the game in place here. Let's go chip in this lead a little bit here. We get a K swing in, line out to center. David Marchand singles to the left side and then gets caught stealing. Ball was in the dirt. It might have been two feet away from the Vandy catcher. And that's a mistake you just can't make. 
I know you're trying to make a play there, but that ball's not far enough away. You got you you're basically taking the bat out of your teammates' hand. You just can't do it. And I understand the intent there is good. I'm not being critical of Marshawn, but it was just kind of a play of inexperience and immaturity. You can't you do that in high school. Basically, anything in the dirt you can take, right? You can in college, not in the SEC. You can get away with that against uh, Nickel State. You can't get away with it against Vanderbilt. Those guys get free college too, and mo- they get more free college than anybody. All right, top of third. This is when the wheels absolutely come off. It's a nightmare of an inning. So we get in a 2-2 count, we hit Shrek, we walk Bulger, Austin in singles to center, bases loaded, now nobody out. We get a ground ball to third, we boot it, run scores. Still nobody out, bases loaded. Parker Nolan in singles to right, drives in two runs, it's now a 6-1 ball game. We finally get an out here as uh, Polk pops up to first, a productive out. And Vastine flies out to right, there's an RBI sack fly there. And it's now a 7-1 ball game. That's it for, for uh, Drangelo, we bring in... Brock Tapper, who, listen, and Brock's going to be a star for us too, and, and we're throwing him into the fire right here. And he'll be better for the experience. The first thing we do, though, is we walk Enrique Bradfield. Guys, walking Enrique Bradfield, is um, that is one of the most dangerous propositions in college baseball. It just is. The guy plays the game the right way. There's probably nobody that gets a better jump from first base. The only thing that helps us here is that Parker Nolan, who is not fleet of foot, is ahead of him at second. Diaz then um, singles to left. No one scores. It's an 8-1 ball game. Shrek doubles to center. Two more runs scored. It's 10-1. The game is over now. We were in the game after two. We're no longer in the game because you're not going to go put up, up nine runs. You're not going to keep Bandy from scoring because at this point, you're, you're just going to throw some other arms, right? Period. You're just going to try to manage the game and get it over and save your better arms for Saturday, Sunday. So you're basically throwing BP. You're not going to come back from a nine-run deficit on a Friday in the Southeastern Conference. It's not going to happen. Bulger lines out to right field. We get out of it. Bottom third, ground out to third, line out to third. Hunter Hines walks, and then Chance grounds out to first. So it's again 10-1 after uh, three. Vandy didn't stop, though. We do get a pop-up to right field, and Maldonado doubles to left. Nolan singles again, chasing home the run, makes it 11-1. We get the next two guys and get out of it. And again, the game's over. And, and then if you had any doubt about it, some of our approaches at the plate kind of confirm it. Uh, bottom of four, we go one, two, three here. Uh, Kellum strikes out, but then beats it out. That's the kid there, I'll tell you, he didn't quit. He didn't quit. This game is over, and Kellum Clark is still doing little things, right? You strike out swinging, the ball gets loose, he takes off, reaches base. And then Heifel grounds out to right center, and then Luke grounds into a double play. But I give Calvin Clark there. It would have been easy just to stand there, right, or walk back to the dugout. It would have been. But these are little things in baseball. We're not doing enough for the little things to win. This is one here when something good does happen, we're at least going to acknowledge the fact that it did. All right, we come out top of five. We walk in Ricky Bradfield again. It's bad enough to have a leadoff walk, which is of the devil. When you walk in Ricky Bradfield, you're basically selling your soul to the devil. Insanity, man. Insanity. Diaz and singles up the middle. Bradfield goes down to third. And Shrek homers to right. Bradfield can trot home there. It's 14-1. to We bring in Logan Forsythe and place the tapper. Bulger flies out to right. Austin singles down to third baseline. A nice bunt there. And the fact that you're bunting with a 13-run lead, I, I, I got a problem with that. At the end of the day, it's our job to get him out. Maldonado strikes out swinging. The Nolan singles through the left side, right side. Austin goes to third. And then we get Nolan uh, stealing. 
And that's an anom- that's a rarity. So we're going to celebrate it when we get it. And I'll be honest with you, I thought Rice Highfield actually had a pretty good weekend behind the plate. Probably his best week in the day. He's getting better. He's getting better. And that's the thing, too. The battery's got to be good, period. And, and a lot, uh, maybe because I'm a former catcher, I see it a little bit differently than most. But when you're 1-6, 1-7 to the plate, you're not even giving the catcher a chance. You're not even giving us a chance. Even if we get a good pop time, you know, Logan Tanner, of course, that, that's a once-in-a-decade type guy, right? But when you're 1-6, 1-7 to the plate, you're not even going to give an average catcher a chance. Bottom five, Forsyth flies out at center. Mershon walks. Larry grounds out the second. We get Mershon to second base there. Led better than singles to right. Mershon comes around and scores 14-2. And then Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. Lefties gave him some trouble this weekend. They did. But you can't take him out of lineup because you may run into something, right? I mean, you kind of got to learn to live with that. All right, top of six. It's another nightmare inning as Vandy puts up a touchdown here. And what's so crazy about it is we had a chance to get out of this inning without a lot of trouble. We did. We had a chance to navigate through this and not have trouble. But we, we, we couldn't do it. We get Polk to strike out looking. But then we walk Vastine, the nine-hole hitter. You're just asking for trouble. You cannot walk the nine-hole hitter. There's a, and listen, Vastine's a good player. I'm going to be wrong. He's kind of a snake lining the reeds down there. He can handle the bat pretty well, but you can't walk a nine-hole hitter and then allow a leadoff guy to hit with a, runner, a pitcher in, in, uh, in the stretch. And we do, and then Bradfield singles. And it's a wild pitch, so everybody moves up the base, and then Diaz walks on uh, four pitches to load the bases. So we got one out, bases loaded. We're a ground ball away from getting away from this thing, right? You can turn two. Even though we have not been especially skilled at turning two, you get a ball back up the middle, get under a barrel, you can turn two. But instead, we hit Shrek with the pitch, run scores 15-2. And then we walk Bulger, and we walk Austin. It is now 17-2. That's, I mean, Will Gibbs has been good for us. And I don't know, maybe if the maybe just because there was some separation in the game, we didn't go out there with our best stuff. But the bottom line is, this is his worst outing to date. Does not get an out. Issues three free passes, all of them ending in runs. Uh, we bring in Harden in place of Gibbs. Not sure what's happening with him. Maldonado strikes out swinging, and then is a grand slam for Parker Nolan. Makes it 21-2. Polk singles to third. Vastine grounds out the second in his second at bat of the game. Anytime of the inning. Anytime, anytime a guy hits twice in an inning, it's not good for us. It is 21-2. to two. You know, we had that Tennessee game last year, and we we're all thinking, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Well, here you go. You're seeing it again. Insanity, man. In the last dozen SEC games, absolute insanity. Well, all of a sudden, they, they're substituting liberally, and who could blame them? Everybody wants a piece of the action. Bryce Chance singles to the left side, goes second on a pass ball, then Kellum Clark walks. And again, I like what Kellum Clark's doing. He is showing a much more approach to play. I'm trying to find a silver lining somewhere, but I'm not going to also, I'm not going to just glaze over the fact that this kid's maturing. Heifel reaches on a fielder's choice. Uh, they force the uh, the runner at third, and then Hancock strikes out looking. Forsyth singles to the left side. Heifel advances to second, and then uh, Clark scores, and we're out at third. I've ever told you how much I hate seeing the third out being a third. Top of seven. It is another nightmare inning. <clears throat> Hewitt, pinch hitter, singles to left. Diaz pops up to first. Rodgers walks. 
and again, a, a chance for us to get out of the inning right there. There's one down in the inning, and we get an extended at bat. We can't finish. Actually, get up 1-2 on Rodgers, and we end up walking him. A pinch hit for Bulger, and his pinch hitter comes in. Very first pitch he sees, he singles, run scores. They pinch hit for Austin, fly out to center. Um, Lenny was a the guy they thought that um, was going to be a star for them. He's not. He's come off the bench now. He walks, flood the bases. And then Parker Nolan, grand slam, 26-3 now. McKenzie singles up the middle. We bring in Graham uh, Eintema to pitch for Tyson Harden. And, um, again, not sure what Harden's condition is. Trainer goes out. You hate to see it. Uh, Vastine grounds out to second, and uh, twenty-six to three. So we, yeah, we need um, headed into the bottom of seven just to keep the game going. We need fourteen runs, fourteen runs, and we would still be down nine. That's how ridiculous that is. Downs pinch hits, strikes out swinging. Uh, Chester grounds out to short, and then. Uh, Jordan grounds out to the catcher unassisted. So there you go, 26-3 ball game. It's terrible. There's not there's nothing about this ball game that you look at and say, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, we had six hits in the ball game. Six. We had some competitive at bats at times. We also had some pretty selfish at bats, but that happens when you when the score gets elongated. Put the ball in play a little bit. I guess if <laughs> we only left four on base because we couldn't get guys on base. Drangelo saddle with his first loss. Five hits, eight runs, six of them are two walks, four Ks, one wild pitch, two hit by pitches, 72 pitches. Brock Tapper gives up six runs. Logan Forsyth gives up three. Will Gibbs does not get an out, three runs. Tyson Harden goes one and third, gives up six runs. And again, that's what happens. When, when the game, when there's separation in the Friday game, you're going to throw the young guys and try to get them some work. And it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. If you had to pick an MVP for this ball game, it would be difficult to do. Amani Larry, one for three. Ledbetter, one for three. Lane Forsyth, one for three. David Marchand, one for one. And also had a walk. They also had a pretty big error there, too. So you'd be hard-pressed to find an MVP of a game for Mississippi State. Let's go ahead and jump right on into uh, – Game number two. And while the score wasn't as bad as that one, the result was the same. Another embarrassing loss. The only difference is we went the full nine this time. It reminds me of when I coached high school baseball. We were so bad the first year. Terrible. Terrible. I just wanted to play the full game. I'm just hoping not to get 10-run ruled. And that's kind of how it felt. And I'm thinking to myself, I never thought I would feel that way again, and certainly not against Mississippi State baseball. 12,927 people showed up. Tip of the cap to every one of you for supporting the Bulldogs and coming out despite a difficult year so far. My hats are off to you. We actually get a pretty good start here to open out Landon Gartman. Um, and Landon, again, I'll say, I've said it on the show many times, and I think maybe maybe some other people figuring this out. This is not a shot at the kid. But he is a guy that can get you through the order twice, usually without a lot of drama. The third time, it's a little bit shaky. So you let him go, you see some trouble, you got to pull him. And I understand the bullpen hadn't been great. You still got to make the baseball play. You got to make the – you got to protect the kid. And listen, Gartman's a competitor. He don't want to come out. If Gartman could give you nine every day, he would. He would. 
But you got to manage around the situation. You got to understand limitations. The stuff is just not dynamic enough to get to the order three times, more times than not. Sometimes it will be. Most times it's not going to be. When they get the third look at a guy that doesn't have a dynamic fastball, because we're basic, it's basically like Hootie, right? If he can't spot the changeup for a strike, and normally he can, they're going to get to him. And then what happens, they figure out, you know, even though he's tunneling the same three pitches from the same arm slot with the same arm speed, he does a great job with it. It's just a different dynamic. Those guys are great elite hitters. They're going to figure you out. And that's not on Garvin. That's on us. As a staff, we have to manage around his limitations. And, again, that's not a shot at the kid. He's given us everything he has. But you can't leave him out there after he's pitched well and then let things get elongated. You can't. All right, we come out, and there is – so first thing they want to do is uh, Nate Chester starting the third. I love this baseball play from Tim Corbin. I'm not a big fan of Vanderbilt baseball by any stretch. But um, you got a brand-new third baseman making his very first start, and you have Enrique Bradfield, the fleetest of foot, lay down a bunt down a third baseline. Nate Chester makes the play. I thought, hey, look at this. Good for Nate. Also, tip of the cap to Tim Corbin. You go out there and test that guy. You know he's amped up. And not to mention Bradfield getting down the line. That's tough. And he makes the play. Diaz strikes out looking, you know, and then Shrek gets a bunt down to third base. And I saw some people talking about how he misplayed it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's playing back there. Maybe maybe he's positioned wrong, and maybe that's on the staff. But he gets a bunt down, and then uh, Bulger grounds out to third. And so we make the play there. Uh, hard hit ball toward the bag. He grabs it on a full count, throws it across the diamond. It's a good first inning there for Chester. Our bottom one, we had some chances here. Larry strikes out swinging, led better, then takes the ball the other way on an 0-2 count. I love it. And then Hines strikes out swinging, led better, takes second, goes to third in a wild pitch. So we just need a base hit here, which is difficult to come by at times for us. But chance grounds out to third. So you get, you get a guy on and get him around and can't get him in. Garman goes back out in the second. Great job here. One, two, three inning. Not the most efficient inning. But a guy that uh, kind of battled back, he goes 2-0 on the uh, last two hitters of the inning and is still able to retire them in order. So one, two, three inning. Bottom of second, Kellum Clark comes out working backside again. I love to see it because with all these left-handers throwing the left-handers, that's, that's the game plan. You're not going to see fastballs. You're going to see balls working away. So you've got to hit it where it is, look to work away. We do hit, and this ball was absolutely hammered. There are some guys, it's kind of awkward for them. They can barely get it over the, the infield grass going the other way. But it just goes and shows you how big and strong Kellum Clark is. He hammers this ball, hammered it into the gap in left center. Russ Highfield gets a bunt down and move him to third. We feel like runs are probably going to be at a premium here. Luke Hancock tries to go the other way, kind of a point in case here. Luke goes the other way and just kind of cues it out there to short. They, they can't make the play, and Kellum Clark scores. And then laying grounds into a double play. But it's a one at them ball game after two. And you're thinking, okay, we're in this thing. You know, Gart is the guy we feel like can confidently get us through five. Top of third, it's an infield single. And then here we go. Sack bunt. They lay it down. They charge the error to Nate. And honestly, I think this is, you know, Gart trying to do a little bit too much here. Um, they call it a throw and error. You probably shouldn't even throw it. 
you probably shouldn't. Matter of fact, if I'm scoring this, I'm probably giving the kid a hit because I don't. I think even with a clean throw, he's safe. But beside the point. Bradfield then gets a bunt down, and it's it's a great bunt. And I saw some people on social media being critical of how we played this. It, guys, no. No. It's like Vince Coleman running the first base. If he can get that thing down up the third baseline and get it past the pitcher and not bunt it too hard directly to third baseman, he is going to beat it out. He is simply that good. All right, but we navigate through this. And it's all because of Gart's ability to spot up a changeup. Pop up to second, pop up to second, and a fly out to right. He had him on their front foot. It was a great job of pitching, a very gutsy performance. You have some adversity here, and rather than panic, the bases are loaded here, and they get nothing. Great job by Landon Gartman to get non-productive outs from the Vanderbilt offense, and that proved to be a difficult task for us throughout the day. All right, bottom of third, Nate Chester strikes out looking on three pitches. Uh, Amani walks, and then Ledbetter grounds the ball to, to uh, second. They force a runner at, uh, at second base, and then Hines strikes out looking. So, again, a little bit of traffic on the bases here. You got a one-run lead, and you know it's not going to last. I mean, you, one, you're not going to score one run and beat Vanderbilt. It's not going to happen. All right, top of four. Austin flies out to center. Maldonado flies out to second. Again, out on the front foot. And then Nolan finally times one up and hits a home run, ties the ball game. We get Polk to strike out swinging. So it's like, again, when you get opportunities to score, you got to get them in. But, again, you feel like you're okay. It's a baseball game, right? It's 1-1. We're, we're getting in the middle innings, and this game is still competitive. Maybe it's our night. Maybe we're responding. Chance grounds out to second. And then Kellum Clark singles back up the middle. Uh, they actually called him out. We review it. He's safe. And then Ross Highfield grounds into a double play. And so, again, traffic on the bases in a one-run ball game. We can't do much with it. Vanderbilt finally gets some things going here. And, again, you walk the nine-hole hitter. And, again, Vastine is not a typical nine-hole hitter. But you get up 0-2 in this count, and you, you lose him. That can't happen. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your makeup is, what your strategy is. You get up 0-2, you cannot walk this guy. And if he singles to right field, so be it. But you can't walk this guy. And then Bradfield corks one into the wind. It's a 3-1 ball game now. Diaz pops up to short. Shred grounds out to second. Bulger pops up to short. Now, here's what I'll say. This is the beginning of the third time through the order, right? You're basically halfway through it here. Bradfield's the leadoff hitter. So you face one, two, three, four in the order. And other than the walk... You look at it and say, hey, you know, after the home run, he settled down. He did. You had the lengthy at bat that you lost, and you get this, there's one hit in the inning. So I can understand the thinking of, well, we're through the heart of their order. Maybe we give him another inning. And where it's a two-run ball game. It is. At the, at the time, I'm thinking, let's pull him, let's pull him, let's pull him. All right, we go one, two, three in the inning. Right? I mean, not only do you not get any runs, you don't get any base runners, and it's all ground outs. They're doing a good job getting under bats, making us put the ball on the ground. Hancock, Forsyth, Chester, all ground out, all to the right side. All right, top of six. And again, I understand the thinking here, but it was clear to me Garvin was fading a little bit. His pitch count was up. I would have pulled him. That's easy to say in hindsight, but I would have pulled him. 
And again, I'm letting him go through the order twice. And then I'm going to let him pitch himself until there's a little adversity, and I'm going to get him out. That's about managing my pitcher, right? Top of six. It's an infield single and then a home run to left. And uh, you got, you know, you got to get him now. You got to get him now. Now. You can't wait because you probably consider pulling him after the fifth. And you talk yourself into leaving him in. And we only gave up one hit in the inning. He had him out on their front foot. That said, after this home run, you got to get him. Back-to-back hits in the inning. I got to pull him. I got to go get him. It's 5-1. It's still a ball game. But we don't. No one then doubles to left. Polk flies out to center. Vastine grounds out to first. Runner takes third. And then Bradfield singles to right. A run is in. 6-1. And, of course, Bradfield still second. And then Diaz homers down the line. So, not only did we not pull him during the third time through the order, we let the order turn over again, and we don't get anybody. We face two, two, two hitters the fourth time through the order, and both hit the baseball hard and drive in runs. Now it's 8-1. I'm not saying the guy you bring in after, Gart, gets you out of this thing without giving up runs, but I would have liked to have given him a chance. I think Gart was clearly gassed at this point, and again, that's not a shot at the kid. It's just kind of understanding the limitations of the player. We left him out there too long. We did. We did. And again, you get out of it, you'd love to get out 3-1. But you had a chance to get out 5-1, you don't, and next thing you know, it's an 8-1 ball game. You bring in KC, he gets Shrek on the very first pitch to get out of it. All right, bottom of six, State with a little traffic on the bases here. Monty Larry with a single, Ledbetter grounds out, runner takes second. Hines and strikes out swinging, and then Bryce Chance comes through with an RBI single here. It's an 8-2 ball game. Just imagine if it was a 5-2 ball game or a 3-2 ball game. And again, there's no guarantees in life, certainly in baseball. But this is a, a situation I would have handled differently. All right, top seven. Casey's out here doing a deal, right? A pop up to short, foul out to first, all soft contact. We get behind Maldonado 3 0. We fight back and work it full. We lose them. There are worse things in life. However, the way Parker Nolan have been swinging it, you're thinking, oh, we're playing with disaster here. But Casey gets him on three pitches. And, again, I, again, the situations change. You can't go back and say you can't copy and paste in baseball. But what if you bring KC in in a 5-1 ball game? Maybe it's a different conversation. All right, bottom of seven states, again, what if it's a 5-2 ball game <laughs> in this inning? Heifel grounds out in the third, Hancock singles to right, and then Forsyth. That's right, you're lane Forsyth, Corks one the other way. It's a home run. Now it's an 8-4 ball game. Wouldn't it be fun if it was a 5-4 ball game? Hyzak comes in, flies out of the center field, nearly poked it out of there. And you're not going to get it over in Ricky Bradfield's head. That's just not going to happen. Just go ahead and call him a scarecrow. It's a cornfield out there where he is. But Hyzak uh, gives it a ride. Really good at bat there. Uh, gets down 0-2, works his way back, and nearly puts it out of the ballpark. And then Larry grounds out short. All right, top of eight. Uh, Hewitt flies out the center. Vastine lines out the second baseman. And then again, a chance for us to get out of this thing, and we walk Bradfield again, and immediately he's still second. Anytime that you walk in Ricky Bradfield, it's a double. It just is. And then Diaz uh, reaches on a fielding error, and uh, Bradfield comes around and scores. It's 9-4, and then Shrek strikes out swinging. All right, bottom of eight. 
It's a 9-4 ball game. It's still a game, but uh, the chances of coming back are pretty slim. But State gets on Ginther here. That they, they pull Hunter Owen, bring in Ginther. Ledbetter pops out, and then Hines singles to the right side. They bring in Nick Maldonado, who is their dude. Told you guys, the dominant closer. One of the best in college baseball. And Bryce Chance squares him up, doubles to left center. Now you got runners to second and third. Now a base knock here. All of a sudden, it's a three-run ball game. There's a little drama. Come Clark pops out. Big at bat for the guy there. We needed a base hit, didn't get one. And uh, on that at bat, there is a uh, a wild pitch, and Hunter Hines gets a late break, but still gets in there. He's safe anyway. Maldonado is blocking the plate without the ball, which is against the rules of baseball. And uh, he gets uh, crushed. And that's a lot of man coming down third baseline in Hunter Hines. But Hunter does what, does what you're supposed to do. You have to slide at home. You can't go high at the plate. He does what you're supposed to do. They call him save. Corbin comes out. He's upset. And he's just protecting his guy, right? I mean, he is. Tim Corbin doesn't have a lot of fans in Star Bowl, but the reality of it is he's out there protecting his guy. They review it. Of course, there is no malicious contact at the plate. The fact that we had to review it, I think, was an appeasement to Tim Corbin. It was pretty obvious on the play when a guy is sliding – um, you know, that's just part of the deal. All right, so then uh, Ross Highfield flies out at center field. But it's a 9-5 ball game. All right, top of nine. Any chance of a comeback is erased in this inning. Bolger doubles down the line. Austin then singles. Takes second on the throw as the throw back in is offline. Maldonado pops up to short. We walk uh, Parker Nolan here to set up. The double play. Bases are loaded to force any base. And then we hit Hewitt with the pitch. Drives in a run. We bring in Tyler Davis in place of Casey Hunt. And I think, again, I think Casey is probably in his best in two inning stints. Tyler Davis, I haven't figured out where he's best. He, he really has really struggled at Mississippi State. Vastine singles to right field. A couple runs scored. 12 5. We walk in Ricky Bradfield again on four pitches. Diaz, infield single here, run scores, and uh, ball gets loose. And another run scores, 14-5. Shrek singles to center, run scores, 15-5. Bulger single to center, Diaz scores, is 16-5. We bring in Nixon for Davis, and he walks Austin. And then Maldonado walks, and then Nolan reaches on a fielder's choice, pulls in another run, and then Hewitt grounds out to third. All right, bottom of nine, we're down 13 Hancock walks, Jordan strikes out swinging, offered singles to left, and then Larry grounds to double play. That's a ball game. 18-5 is your final. And again, I think it's how we manage the pitching staff here that ultimately, yeah, a couple timely hits here and there. But in an SEC ball game, you get 11 hits and five runs, it ought to be a competitive game. They have 16 hits and 18 runs, and, and much of that comes from uh, the free passes. Again, it, it, I sound like a broken record here. But you go back and you look at this. We walked seven, and we hit one. And we had one intentional walk. But, again, what happens if you pull Gart when it's 5-1 and you pull Casey after two innings? 
Now, again, I don't know who you put in there. Tyler Davis didn't record an out. And then uh, Aaron Nixon gets out of it, a couple walks there. But, uh, you know, he goes two-thirds of an inning. And, uh, again, he's not quite 100% yet. But, you know, I understand the reason you extend the starter is because you don't have any faith in a lot of your relievers. And so, yeah, we didn't manage it well. But some of that's the personnel available to us right now. Now, I will tell you this. I did. I was told earlier today that Cade Smith threw a bullpen on Sunday and that uh, his injury is non-baseball related or his condition non-baseball related. All right, we get into Sunday and uh, a much more competitive game here and a game I still feel like we should have won. Again, the bullpen blows the game here. Now, we had Nate Dome making his first start for State. I understand he didn't have the game that we'd hoped he would have, but in my mind, he has done enough to stay on the weekend. Chris Simonis appears to agree. All right, we go out, we get a, a one, two, three inning. We get a ground out of Bradfield. Diaz strikes out, Shrek strikes out, swinging. So good result in the first. And Stake immediately goes to work. Ledbetter singles to left. I love poking that ball the other way. Then Amani is hit by the pitch. Hines flies out to center field. Uh, Ledbetter tags and goes to third. Now runners on the corner, and Bryce Champs doubles to left center. And um, Ledbetter comes around to score here. And I don't know, you know, if uh, if I want Amani Larry tagging and taking second on that play. Had he done it, though, it's a 2 nothing ball game. But you got to make good decisions there. If he's thrown out there, the inning, you know, is really in jeopardy. Come Clark strikes out swinging, Highfield flies out to center, but it's a one nothing lead for State. And with Nate on the mound, you think, okay, that's a good start for us. Immediately we come out there and we lead off walk. 3-1 count, we walk in, we get a pop-up to first, and then Bulger goes second on a wild pitch. And anytime, it just seems that any time that we walk somebody and they get to second with less than two outs, they score. Maldonado doubles down the line to tie the ball game. Nolan grounds out to second which moves the runner to third, and then Polk singles back up the middle. It is now a 2-1 game, and Vastine strikes out looking. Still, you feel like it's a competitive game. Bottom of second, leadoff single from Luke down the third baseline. Forsyth lines out to right. Hyzak singles to left. Hancock goes to second. And then Ledbetter grounds into a double play. You know, here we go. Two guys on. We got to get a base hit. We don't. And Vandy doesn't make errors. They just don't. Now that Carter Young has moved along, they're just getting a lot sounder in the, uh, in, on the, in the infield. All right, top of third. Again, we walk, lead off, walk to Bradfield and Diaz homers. It's 4-1. The, the problem that I got with Bradfield is, is what are you scared of? Yeah, he got a couple balls up in the wind on Friday and Saturday. He did. And he's, he's one of my favorite players in college baseball. I don't understand why we're so scared to attack the zone with him. Why do we put him in a position where he walks as frequently as he has? Got a good eye at the play, give him some credit. But you get ahead 1-2 in this count, you lose him, and the next guy up hits a dinger. All right, it's 4-1. We're still in the game. Shrek is out at first. Bulger uh, reaches on an error by the shortstop. Lane did not have a good game on Sunday. Had gone a while without making an error and uh, made up for it on Sunday. Austin pops up the short, Maldonado in singles, Bulger goes to second, and then Parker Nolan, who killed us all weekend, it's an RBI single, and now it's a 5-1 game. And even though they're beginning to get some separation, you think it's not out of reach. Bottom of third, we go 1-2-3, Larry flies out, Hahn strikes out, Chance flies out to right. Top of fourth, we get a fly out to right, a fly out to center, and you think, hey, we're out of it. Nope, Diaz homers again. Now it's a 6-1 ball game, Shrek grounds out. 
Bottom of four, Calum Clark gets us back in and he gets a dinger. Highfield flies out to center field. He hit the ball well, too. And then Hancock homers. Now it's a 6-3 ball game. You're thinking, okay, hey, we plenty of game left. Forsyth grounds out of the short. Hyzak flies out to center field. You think, okay, we even though we're not tied or within a run, we've shown some life here and we've taken their, their starter out of the ballpark twice. So we're seeing the baseball well here. And then Nate goes back and gets us a uh, – it faces a minimum here in the fifth. It's a fly out, then an error on the shortstop, but Maldonado grounds into double play. So we face the minimum, and we're right back in the dugout thinking, okay, here we go. Ground out to first from Ledbetter. Larry walks, and then Hines pops up to second. Uh, they bring in Cunningham, and State is on him pretty good. They get for trail out of the ballgame. Larry's still second. Chance grounds out to third. But you look at this and start thinking, okay, this game is still a game. Well, in the top of six, Vanderbilt said, no, it's not. No one flies out to left. Polk singles up the middle, and Bastine doubles down the – pulls the ball inside the bag, run scores. It's now 7-3. We bring in Eintema. And, again, you know, may, maybe you pull Nate when it's 6-3. But he had such a good fifth inning, you begin to think, okay, well, that makes a little sense here. You know, he faced a minimum in the fifth. Why would I pull him in the sixth? But back-to-back hits here. We go ahead and pull him. And then Bradfield is out at first on a sack bunt. Now, it's, it's a 7-3 ball game, but there are two outs. And then we walk Diaz, and it's a wild pitch, and he scores. Shrek is then hit by the pitch. Bolger then homers to center. So, Einzema's line here. You get the sack bunt from Bradfield, and it's a walk, a hit-by-pitch, and a three-run jack. So, one-third of an inning pitched, three runs. We bring in Colby Holcomb, who was outstanding. Maybe we're finding something there. The fact that we're still having to kind of struggle through this on March 26th is a bit of a concern. We get Austin to ground out to the pitcher. That ends the inning. It's 11-3. State still showed a little fight in this ballgame, though. Kellum Clark walks, and then Highfield doubles to left, and it pushed uh, Kellum on around 11-4. Hancock then walks. Forsyth fouls out, and then Connor Hyzak homers to left field. Three-run jack. Now it's 11-7. That chases Cunningham from the ballgame. They bring in Hilbaki who gets a ground out to first. That, an unorthodox delivery there, for sure. And Larry flies out to left. But it's a four-run ball game, and you think, okay, we still got three frames to make this thing up. We get a 1-2-3 inning from Cunningham. Excuse me. Not Cunningham. Cunningham's on the team for Colby Holcomb. All right, we get a fly out to center, ground out to short, and a strikeout swinging. So 1-2-3 inning. We got to go get some runs here in the seventh. We don't. Hines flies out to right. Chance singles up the middle. Clark strikes out swinging. The runner's going on the play, and they call Clark for uh, interference. Immediately made the call there. I did not see a replay, so I can't really comment on the quality of the call. A very unfortunate situation there, for sure. And Kellum gets ahead 3-0 in this count. And not only do we not get on base, it's basically a double play. And I really felt like that was probably our best chance to narrow the gap here. Top of eight. Uh, Holcomb back out. We get a foul out to third, a fly out to center. We walk Diaz and then get Shrek to strike out looking. So, again, Holcomb has the velo to keep people honest. Bottom of eight. Uh, Highfield flies out to right. Hancock walks. We pinch hit Aaron Downs for Forsyth. Luke takes second on the pass ball. Downs flies out second. And then Hyzak flies out down to the left field line. And, again, no run scored here. All right, we get to the ninth. Holcomb still rolling here. We get a walk to Bulger and a single, and we didn't pull him. We stuck with him. Maldonado gets a sack bunt down. We walk 
Nolan intentionally and then get Hewitt to strike out swinging and Bastown pops to the short. So we navigate through some trouble there to give ourselves a chance. And we go one, two, three in the ninth. Ledbetter strikes out swinging, ground out the short from Larry and Hines, ground out the first unassisted, and we are swept again. There are no moral victories at Mississippi State baseball. And if we had played Alabama and held them within 20, it may be different. But just two years ago, we're playing Vanderbilt for an NFL championship. So not only were we on the same level, we were a step ahead because we dominated them in those second two ball games. And it really shows the difference in the two programs. Vanderbilt wasn't great last year. They weren't. And I don't know how good they are this year. They're a talented team. Could they be a top eight? Maybe. But with those left-handed pitchers they have, some big-time arms there, and they're going to stay in some ball games. And we worried about, you know, hey, they hadn't scored much offensively. I don't know that you can judge much from uh, hitting against Mississippi State pitching. But um, a more competitive ball game, but it all ends the same way. It's still a loss. And so I'm not going to say, hey, at least it was competitive. No, no. We, I'm not going to sit here and pin it on a guy. I'm not. But I will say this, is that I just don't think Graham Einsema can get SEC hitters out at this point in his career. I, I just don't. I, I don't know if he can handle the pressure. And I think Nate will be better for the experience. I think Nate wants to start. I think Nate gives us a good chance to win. I, I like him more on Saturday than Sunday, but the reality of it is, is that uh, he gave up eight runs. He did 85 pitches. We probably should have pulled him a little sooner than we did. Uh, but you give, him, you give him the sixth after he has such a good fifth, he gives up back-to-back hits, and you go get him. Probably pulled him at the right time. Maybe you didn't pick the right guy to follow him up. Because you start thinking, hey, if you bring in Colby Holcomb and we're able to navigate through that, it's a much different ball game. A much different ball game. So that's about game management. You know, that's just kind of how I see it. But, um, you know, looking at the, uh, you know, the numbers, you know, Connor Hyzak, two for four in the ball game with the big fly there, and he had two defensive chances. He made both of the plays there. You know, is he your answer at third? I wrote a column about that this morning. Yeah, I don't know. And there, the problems at Mississippi State are many. So anytime that you can start putting scratching through something and say, okay, I've got this settled for now, it's a good thing. So maybe that's maybe Connor is a guy that needs to be in the lineup. We need we desperately need some right-handed power. I thought we'd see more of Aaron Downs this weekend. We didn't. I discussed that on Tuesday's show. Uh, but that's the weekend. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. There's no way to feel good about anything that happened over the weekend. Period. We get Sanford here on Tuesday. That'll be before we're back together. Uh, so real quickly, let me give you a quick rundown of Sanford. They beat us last year, you may recall. Wasn't fun. I was there. Uh, they're 13-11 this year on the season. They open up losing a series at Memphis. They beat Jacksonville State. They lose a series at Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, they beat Alabama State. They win a series against Moorhead State. They get beat 11-6 by Alabama in a midweek game uh, out in Birmingham. They get swept by LSU, scoring just two runs on the weekend. Uh, they lose to UAB in a midweek game. They uh, take a game from Columbia. They win a series against UT Martin and then 10-run rule North Alabama in a midweek game and then take the series from ETSU over the weekend. Uh, Very high-scoring games offensively for them. Even in the loss on Sunday, they they put up a dozen runs. Now, I don't know what the pitching situation is at East Tennessee State, uh, but they beat up the Buccaneer pitching staff. And so they're going to come in here expecting to win a ballgame. 
Now, who do we start? You know, I, I think it's not Bradley Lofton. I, I think, unless it's Bradley on a short stint, but you got to think about, we got, you know, our series starts on Thursday. So it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal. So you can't throw Bradley and then come back on the weekend unless it's a really, really short bullpen-type start. All right, let's get to today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is my friend, your friend, the friend of those in need. And we're going to be quick with this top ten list. Uh, listen, Blair, you can visit him at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And find out about all the services that he provides in the mortgage industry. Top 1% close ratio in the country. This is a guy that gets things done. If Blair can't get your loan closed, it can't be done. Not at this time. But you need to have somebody working for you that's a winner. 21 years of experience in the industry. Uh, works at Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to, uh, to mortgage loan origination. His phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? All right, at long last, we're doing REO Speedwagon. Many of you have no idea what REO stands for, and until today, I didn't either. I didn't. REO Speedwagon is named after a truck that the Olds Company put together back in 1915. It stands for Ransom Eli Olds, who was a car maker, car manufacturer in his company, in this country. So REO stands for a man's name, Ransom Eli Olds Speedwagon. It's named after the truck, REO. I think they called it Rio, but it was named after its founder. So there you go. This band has sold 40 million albums, had 13 top 40 hits. Many of you know them. As people used to say back in uh, the 1900s, a lot of belly rubbing music from REO Speedwagon. All right, number 10, a song off of their, their hits album, it's a compilation. You know, a lot of these greatest hits albums, they add a couple new songs to encourage people to go buy them. A track that actually became a hit for them is This Ain't Love. A little bit of an up-tempo track. I think you'll check it out. It's about bad relationships. All right, number nine, a good relationship is even when you're apart from each other, you still long for each other. It's not a situation where you're away from each other and it's like, hey, my life is better without that person here. If you're living that life, I submit to you, you probably need to do some self-evaluation of you and your relationship. But it's here with me. And even though you're there, there's a part of you that's here with me. Number eight goes back to the very first album. They still play this song live. It is very much a fan favorite. It's 157 Riverside Avenue, which is an homage to the place they lived when the band first got going. So their humble beginnings, it's like they still throw a bone back to the origins of the band. Number seven, man, off that second album, it's Riding the Storm Out. Some great live versions of that from the 80s and even more recent years. Be sure and check that out, riding your storm out. Uh, number six is Keep the Fire Burning. Uh, again, or another relationship song. A lot of relationship songs at REO. But it's, you know, hey, you know, when you're, you got to put some effort in relationships. You do. We all do. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, my oldest daughter and I probably share this attribute. You know, we have big, we have main character energy. You know, where sometimes you think everybody else is just kind of around. It's like you're the star of the movie and everybody else is a supporting cast member. And so that doesn't work in marriage and relationships. you you, know, you got to kind of humble yourself a little bit and put somebody else first. 
And uh, my wife doesn't know this yet, so don't tell her yet, but I've already ordered her some clothes for our anniversary. It's coming up here in about six weeks. I already ordered them. I don't know what's going on with shipping and handling right now anyway, but usually when you order something on Amazon, it's here like tomorrow. You know, and I'm the kind of person, too, as soon as I order something on Amazon, I'm constantly ch- I'm tracking my order immediately. Like as soon as it's, it's uh, what, what's happening? So I ordered a bunch of stuff, and um, it'll kind of, you know, filter its way in here over the next uh, month, which means it's probably some of it's coming from China. You never know. We're keeping the fire burning here at the Robertson household. All right, number five, roll with the changes. Great tune. You know, that's what life is about. The only constant in life is change. you got to be able to deal with that and be able to perform at a high level. Bulldogs have to deal with this too. The environment and league in which we play in is constantly changing. It's a very unforgiving league. you got to go out there and compete at a high level. You can't give up. The same is said for us in life. Roll with the changes in life. Number four. Time for me to fly. Great tune here. It's a song of inspiration, a song of empowerment. If you don't know it, you should. You've been through some adversity in life. You can't let it beat you down. Number three, and this is, I think, the final three. I think most people, if you polled people of my generation and those that know the REO Speedwagon catalog, I think if you polled all of us, we would all agree these are the top three songs. We may disagree on the order. But I think most people would agree these are the best. When you hear the name REO Speedwagon, these songs come to mind. Number three is Keep On Loving You. It's the only thing I want to do. And I hope you feel the same. Because I'm going to keep on loving you. All right, number two. This is one of those songs, too, that is kind of quintessential of the 80s radio rock era. And uh, in the beginning of REO Speedwagon, they were really more of a hard rock band and became more radio rock friendly a little bit later in their history, really more the early 80s. They were were kind of the contemporary for bands like Foreigner and Journey. They didn't have the same edge, however, uh, because they they did kind of, you know, dial it back a little bit. But this was probably the one. Most people would say this is number one, but we don't like to end our top ten list on a ballot if we can. But it's, I can't fight this feeling any longer. And at some point, you've all felt that way. More times than not, it's been an infatuation. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody's just being nice to you and you think they're flirting, right? You meet somebody new, they're really attractive, and you think, oh, you know, I really like this person. And you start falling in love with an ideal rather than an individual. But sometimes it's the real McCoy. Sometimes it is. For me, it's only been once. For many of you are in love a lot, you know. And I'll give you a little little trivia about me, too. Uh, Back in the early 90s, I may have shared this with you guys before. I had a friend that used to call me Baskin and Robbins because it was the flavor of the month club. Because I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what relationships were. It's like all of a sudden, oh, she's really cool. You meet somebody cuter. I like her better. You know, I like her. I like her. You know, because it's all about you, right? If this person is seen with me, if there's this beautiful girls with me, then I must be attractive myself, right? That's how it works. It's all very self-serving, and you glean self-esteem from all that in a very unhealthy way. But number one for me. It's Take It on the Run, and this is a breakup song. Because if that's the way you want it, baby, I don't want you around. I don't feel that in my heart, but I can respect the fact it's a great song. Because not every song is, a, is autobiographical, right? But that's your top 10 REO Speedwagon tracks. Again, Take It on the Run, number one on the list. There are a lot of people that have requested this, and I asked Roy today, for, give me one off our list. So I don't know who the first person to request this group was, but many of you have. And uh, we probably could have put a top 10 list together of all the people that requested REO Speedwagon. So we finally got around to it. 
Uh, we got some other stuff. Roy had a really good idea that we're going to kind of do in honor of the, the Jordan movie that's coming out. Because yeah, we, we pay attention to current events. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, the, the movie about the, you know, the shoes, right? I wonder if Morris Blackman makes an appearance in that. And many of you are too young to understand the reference. It's got to be the shoes, man. It's a, it's a, the, the first marketing campaign for Air Jordan shoes. And Morris Blackman was the dude who was Spike Lee. So we'll see how that goes. I suspect that he'll be represented in some way. But I'm looking forward to the movie. And so we're going to do a top 10 list on Wednesday, kind of along those lines. So hang in here with us. I hear, I hear some ringing around here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Maybe somebody is uh, plotting to get me. Who knows? So may not be able to get the show up for you after all. But we will endure. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. Best way to do it is to hit me and Roy up on all forms of social media. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at ScoutSteveR. Roy is at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Or you can find us on Facebook, whether we're friends or not. You can send the list. And I'm, I'm at my limit, basically, on the Facebook thing. But I will not decline your request. I may not accept it, so don't get your feelings hurt. If you request me, that gives you a chance to continue to follow along as if we were friends. But I just won't see your feed. You'll see the content that I post. I just won't see yours. It's not anything personal. I would be friends with all of you if Facebook would allow it. But it's not like the old MySpace days where, you know, you've got, you know, 10,000 friends and you know 100 of them. So there are limitations with all this. So, uh, but hit us up, let us know, and uh, I'll screenshot your request and get it to Roy and he'll get it on the list. And uh, Roy doing yeoman's work here. Uh, for, I mean, basically his pay is to be able to say that he does this and have his name shouted out on the show and to call me his friend. And I call Roy my friend. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get together over the weekend, but uh, they were in town, of course, supporting the Diamond Dogs. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. If you're unfamiliar with Campus Bookmart, you need to familiarize yourself. These people are going to take care of you. They're going to help you outfit your families, your office, your vehicle, anything that you have that needs some home decor or some personal decor, they can take care of that for you. Next time you're in town, go see them very neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You pull out of their parking lot, take a left, take the very first right. Drive on around. You'll be right at all Mississippi State's historic athletic venues. Very, very easy to find. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps game day is not a good shopping day for you, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, you get a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Let's take a quick look around the league. And then I'm going to give you my feelings about a few things. And uh, we'll start getting ready to get out of here. All right, so uh, it is a busy day tomorrow. Before we do get to that, let's take a quick look back at the weekend. As you guys are, uh, are well aware, some very important series, right? All right, so South Carolina 6-0, and they sweep Missouri. I'm a little bit surprised by that. I kind of picked Missouri in an upset there. And Missouri had a chance to win the Friday game. They don't. South Carolina will be our opponent coming this weekend. They come in with a full head of steam, 23-2 overall, 18-0 at home, but just 4-2 on the road. Vanderbilt, of course, now 6-0 in the league, 19-5 overall. Kentucky, our friends at Kentucky. And uh, I'm going to keep beating the drum for them. I don't think they're going to win the East. 
but I do think they have a chance to finish in the top half. And I would say no worse than fifth. Anywhere from third to fifth, depending on how things go. But uh, Kentucky, not a great team, but certainly a much improved team. Now five and one. They go to Tuscaloosa, take two out of three, and probably should have swept Alabama. Alabama makes a late comeback uh, to win. Matter of fact, Friday, Kentucky nearly gave the game away. Wild pitch, allowed time to run to score. Goes extra innings. They find a way to win. Uh, Florida sweeps Ole Miss. They're five and one on the year. Uh, Tennessee, of course, uh, was swept last weekend. Uh, they come back and, uh, and get three this weekend. Tennessee has some talent. They can really swing it. They really can. But there's not as much consistency with this team as there was a year ago. They did lose a lot of pieces. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being negative about Tennessee. And they'll be a factor in things late. But I, I think, you know, taking three from Texas A&M and those games for the most part were competitive, 8-7 on Saturday, 9-6 on Sunday, but a good series win for them. And, again, A&M kind of fading. A lot of people had them as a dark horse. You know, they got hot late last year and found their way to Omaha. But uh, not exactly what people were expecting. Missouri now 3-3, three and three, of course. Their three came against Tennessee. Georgia now 1-5. They get one from Auburn over the weekend. All right, on the western side of things, LSU 4-2. and two. They take two out of three from Arkansas. They lose on Friday and then bounce back and destroy Arkansas in the remaining games. So, Arkansas... Uh, tied with LSU at the top of the West. But by virtue of the tiebreaker, if we got ready to see the tournament today, LSU would be ahead. Alabama now 2-4 and four after losing 2 out of 3 to Florida and 2 out of 3 to Kentucky. Auburn 2-4. and four. Of course, they were swept last weekend, a uh, well, weekend before, and then take 2 or 3 from Georgia. Uh, we've already discussed A&M getting swept. Now 1-5. and five. Ole Miss, Mississippi State. 0-6. Oh now, here's what I'll tell you about that. There are some people that say, hey, you know, Miss is 0-6-2. I don't care because nobody is losing like us. You look at the Ole Miss losses, yes, they're 0-6, but they're playing baseball games. We're playing church league softball, right? I mean, you give up 50 runs over the weekend. How can you even compare what's happening? Yes, I get it. A loss is a loss, but it, makes, it gives me no glee or satisfaction to say, well, at least Ole Miss is 0-6-2. I absolutely do not care. And they've played two top ten teams in Vanderbilt and Florida. We played Vanderbilt. You know, both Kentucky and Vanderbilt are ranked, but let's be honest. Kentucky's not Florida. But look at these Ole Miss numbers last week. I mean, lose to Florida, 9-7, 12-8, Those games are competitive. They were. And Florida with some, you know, Castiglia hit some big bombs against them. And if we don't have anybody like that. I mean, Hunter's a guy that can, that can launch some balls. But, uh, but there's no comparison other than the fact that we're both 0-6. They're playing better baseball than us. They are. And, of course, they'll be here uh, middle of next month, Super Bulldog weekend. And they'll be at A&M this weekend. And uh, A&M, again, it's tough to go on the SEC road and win. And we'll preview that later in the weekend. But, you know, you could see a situation here where Ole Miss really gets off to a very difficult first half. Uh, if they can win a road series at A&M, it gives them a little bit of juice. But uh, I'm sure A&M's excited for them to get there. The next weekend, they get Arkansas. And then they got to come to Dirty Noble Field. And then they get LSU. It's a very unforgiving league. And you begin at this point, if you're state or Ole Miss, you begin to ask yourself, you know, where's the breaking point? At what point did the kids start saying, you know, the heck with this? I don't think that's happening at State, even though the scores may reflect that. I think that's more of an in, in indicative of our talent than it is our commitment. 
but here's the deal. I love Mississippi State baseball. I do. I know many of you do as well. For, uh, for many of us, it has been a love affair since the very beginning. That's how I describe it in Dogpile. I love Bulldog baseball. What we are seeing on the field is not consistent with our tradition, our expectations. In many ways, it is a disservice to both. There is nothing right now that you can look and feel good about. And the fact that some, like I heard some people say it and I saw some people write it, and they're like, well, at least, at least Sunday was competitive. Is that how far we fall on as a program? We're just hoping to keep it close on a Sunday. Well, it wasn't as bad as Friday or Saturday. We got better. No, we didn't get better every day. We mismanaged some situations. We had some bad at-bats. We didn't throw strikes. We had some guys that couldn't get outs. Mississippi State baseball is not about playing it close. It's about winning big. It's not good. You don't need me to tell you that. I'm not happy. You're not happy. Players aren't happy. Lamonis isn't happy. Now, I'll tell you this. I did the research last week. I may have shared this with you. I don't think I have. There's never been a college baseball coach fired two years removed from a NAFL championship in the history of college baseball. Started having NAFL championships, what, 1947? Never been a coach fired two years removed from a NAFL championship. Now, the caveat to that is, is you hadn't had two seasons where you cratered like this either. Now, do I think Chris Amonis is going to be fired at season's end? At this point, I say no. Now, if we continue to get 10-run ruled weekend after weekend after weekend, I think all bets are off. But I do think Chris Simonis has earned the right to have another year to turn this thing around. I know many of you are saying, Steve, I'm totally against that. I can't endure this again next year because I believe it's going to be more of the same. I can't argue against that. I can't sit here and tell you, hey, things will be okay if we just go get another pitching coach. If we shake some things up, I can't tell you that because I don't know that. And I don't know that I believe that. But I can tell you this, I'm not giving up on this team. Many of you have already checked out, and I get it. I understand it. You got better things to do with your weekend than watch your beloved alma mater get beat on the baseball diamond. It's something that we always look forward to and expect good things from. I understand it. I'm not going to judge anybody for how they feel. You check out anytime you like. I'm not going to. And it's not just because it's my job. For years and years and years, nobody covered road baseball. Nobody did. And starting in 2018, that's what we've done. For the first time in the history of Mississippi State Baseball in 2018, we covered every single game. We did. And we've done it ever since. So we're going to continue to do the job. There's nothing like being there. There are a lot of people, of course, that uh, you know, sit home on their couch and you know, they want you to take their opinion seriously. You know, they see the same things that you see you know, on TV. You know, I'm there asking questions. I'm there seeing what's happening in the half inning. I'm talking to our people in between stuff, trying to get information for you. Uh, and I'm blessed and privileged to be in that position. I take the job very seriously. Uh, there's some other beat writers from some other schools. They have a bad year in football. They won't even make a road trip to A&M. Anything that's an inconvenience for them, I'm just built differently. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to beat a genuine article here. That's what I'm going to do. And my hope is, is that we can cover some pretty good baseball. But the feelings that you're seeing on social media and on the message boards and, and on talk radio, all of that is justified. There's no defending what we've seen. Again, you hope the situation at Kentucky was just, you know, you know, a bad weekend. And I think it's indicative now that we got a bad team. And I thought we'd be a lot better. I did. 
Chris Simonis did too. Scott Foxhall did too. The SEC coaches didn't. And maybe they knew something we didn't because they recruited many of these same players. And so what I think needs to happen is what we talked about last week. I think you've got to put your most talented guys as your starters on the weekend. And you got to depend on your offense to win your midweek game. you got to go out there, of course. Maybe you throw Colby Hulk, or maybe he becomes your midweek guy. Maybe. And, of course, in many respects, that probably rules him out for the weekend. And maybe you just Johnny Holstaff it on Tuesdays and just hope that your offense is good enough to beat up somebody's midweek pitching. But the fact that we're having to even consider all this is an embarrassment. It is. We're a proud program. We're a proud fan base. And sometimes if we feel like we don't have baseball, we don't have anything. That's the one consistency we've had most of our lives is that we can count on the Bulldogs being good. Some years we make it to Omaha, some years we don't. Rarely we miss the NCAA tournament, right? And so we enjoyed our NAFL championship, and then last year had an abysmal season, and you're able to chalk a lot of that up to the fact that you had some injuries to some key players, and you weren't able to recover from that. And then we thought, hey, we hit the portal hard. We felt like we had signed a great portal class. Many of those players are not performing. The offensive players, I think, are. You led better in Larry. Where would we be without Colton Ledbetter and Imani Larry? I'm, honestly, where would we be without those two? And then, of course, you've seen some flashes of Connor Isaac. And my hope is, hey, maybe now he's given the opportunity uh, to, to start at third. Maybe kind of get some things going and, again, give us some right-handed power here and kind of provide some balance in the lineup. But on the pitching side, and it's not just limited to the transfers. I mean, of course, Aaron Nixon's been hurt, right? Tower Davis, not pitching well. Uh, Graham Eidson, we signed him out of junior college, not pitching well. He's not. Kate Smith's still on the shelf. Can we hope to get him back sooner rather than later? Pico, I'm told, is still not ready. I had somebody tell me yesterday he's probably the farthest behind, which is crazy. And and uh, he was so competitive last year for State. Not, not every outing was great, but the kid was willing to go out there and compete hard for Mississippi State. And he became a guy that you guys were excited about, and, and rightfully so, because you go out there and pound the strike zone. As a freshman, just going out there as a freshman, as a freshman lefty, going out there, giving us everything he had, making us more competitive. And so you think, hey, we get him back next year. Hey, you know, we got something. We haven't even – he hadn't even made his debut yet. And I had somebody tell me over the weekend, you know, hey, Nixon's back. Kate is close. Still waiting to see on Pico. And, again, I think, you know, where would this pitching staff be with those guys being healthy all year? You know, I'm not saying we'd have been great, but we wouldn't have been getting beat 26-3. to three. It's an embarrassment. It is. And we all wear it. We all do. All of us that love Mississippi State baseball. Even though we're not out there on the field, we're not the, the folks striking out. We're not the folks giving up gopher balls. We're not the guys filling out the lineup card, but we feel it too. And for those of you that, people that say, oh, it's just a game. No, it's not just a game. It's not just a game. When you put the emotional investment and financial commitment that we put behind this, it's not just a game. And maybe it means too much to us. Maybe it does. But I'm not willing to get on board with that. But I'm not giving up on this team. And I encourage you not to either. But, again, you check out whenever you want to. I won't take it personally. I won't take it personally. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. told you guys many times before, uh, Portico, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. I think many of you should consider doing that. Phase one's completely sold out. I just hit the mic. I'm sorry. There's a guy that messaged me. Stop hitting your mic. 
It's never anything intentional. But it may be from going far. I may just start hitting the mic. Just so to make sure you're paying attention. Uh, but, but listen, Portico, a great place to live, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Right there next to all things Bulldog, right? How cool would that be to be that close to campus? Again, close enough for convenience, kind of tucked away uh, for privacy uh, and for comfort there in a nice little neighborhood. Phase one sold out, phase two underdeveloped, but now many of those homes are sold, but there remain some available. Reach out to my friend, your friend, Mississippi State's friend, Brooks Bryan, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And get all your questions answered. You know, but whether it's your ballgame weekend retreat, your primary residence, Maybe it's an investment property for you. I don't know. But you can get your needs met at Portico. Make it your next move. Okay, football practice. Uh, we had practice last week. I didn't, I didn't get to go on Saturday. The Zach Arnett Q&A is up on our website. You can go check it out yourself. And uh, Paul Jones took care of the video for us. And uh, that's one good thing about having the team that we have. We can kind of divide and conquer, right? Back at it this week. You know, it's a thing you look at, too. It's like, all of a sudden, you look up, and a couple weekends from now, it's going to be time for the spring game. The thing that I will tell you that, it, that I have noticed in practice, there's not a lot of downtime, and I think that's a carryover from the Leach situation. You know, Leach is a guy that never wasted practice reps. You know, like you, you run your route, you come back, you get back in line, you drink water while you're in line, you don't go crouch over to the side and tell jokes and go check your phone, none of that stuff, Right. But there's not any downtime in practice. And you've seen Zach Arnett out there actually uh, being the Wildcat quarterback in times and drills, which is interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen an SEC coach get out there and play quarterback as a coach. But I think that also adds to the allure of the Zach Arnett experience to your players. I think your players say, hey, this is a coach that's willing to get out here and, and practice with us. This is a guy that's ready to get out here and make some things happen, Right. That's interesting to me. I do like our new coaches. Had a chance to observe many of them uh, during practice. And uh, you know, Paul Jones doing the best he can. We, we, we only get a limited amount of time to go to practice. The elites used to let us just stay out there as much as we wanted to until we got into the season. But they're installing an offense. They're a little more protective these days. And uh, I've never felt like limiting practice during the spring and then fall camp is a good thing. I don't, I don't know what you're really hiding there. I understand when you get into game week, you don't want somebody in the media taking pictures or taking video of your formations or anything like that or anything you may want to do. That makes sense to me. But with it being a new staff, especially on offense, and there's so much install, I kind of get it. It's like, hey, we don't want the guys out here. It's a distraction. You know, you come out here and you get your 20, 30 minutes or whatever. The other day I was able to stay almost an hour. But once you get into team drills, it's about football. And maybe you don't want the media out there. And, again, we cover Mississippi State on Mississippi State's terms. There are a lot of schools out there we don't have anywhere close to the access that we have. You know, when I was living in Baton Rouge, I helped out with our LSU side. You go out there and you walk around and you can see who's in a no-contact jersey or maybe who's not practicing. You couldn't talk to anybody. You couldn't talk to coaches. You couldn't talk to players. You made the big loop. You get a few pictures. You leave. That's what you do. And there are a lot of other schools out there that that don't have any access, especially when things are negative, right? Uh, But – I'm eager to get back out there and kind of see what's happening. We have Pro Day tomorrow, so we'll have uh, some recap of that, you know, on Wednesday. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that everybody did. And a lot of those numbers that get out there are unofficial, so when you see and hear the 40 times, uh, don't freak out about that. Emmanuel Forbes did tell us that he's not going to run the 40, and I, he's nothing left to prove. 
uh, into 40. He'll weigh in, and he'll be heavier than he was at the combine. Obviously, he wanted to be as light as he could with his long strides to run as well as he could. He'll be heavier. Be, he'll be heavier at pro day. I encouraged him to eat a, guy, a half gallon of Bluebell ice cream each night leading up to pro day. Uh, he'll do drills and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have some guys drafted. I mean, Cameron Young has been around the complex a lot here in recent weeks, uh, eager to see, you know, what Cam's going to do with him. And I think Cam's probably a mid-round draft pick. But, uh, again, I give Bob Sheep a lot of credit. You know, Cam's freshman year. He said this is a kid that's going to be another Mississippi State defensive line success story. Small-town kid with a good work ethic, a very talented guy. Just needed to be polished a little bit. Now, here we are. You know, now a chance to go make some money. Uh, but, again, look for some uh, pro day coverage here on Wednesday. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do some interviews, too, while we're out there. But uh, we'll kind of recap what, kind of what we see in here. And there's only so much you can learn, right? I mean, it's like, oh, well, so-and-so look good in drills. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Right? And uh, they're not going to release it 40 times. But th- those guys, listen, those guys out there from the Steelers – you know, the prestigious franchises like the Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots, people like that, they're going to conduct their own clock, right? So what they get is what matters most. And really, you're just trying to confirm what you already suspect about a player. But uh, we'll discuss all that on Wednesday. But a lot going on. And I think it's so good, too, for the, your current players to go over to Pro Day, not just to support their teammates, but to understand the opportunities that are available to them. We've had some players in the past that wouldn't do that. I'm not going to name any names. We had players in the past that were guys that were probably fringe draft guys. Like, hey, you need to come out here and let these people see you interact with them a little bit. They wouldn't do it. And crazy enough, they didn't get drafted. Maybe they weren't going to get drafted anyway. But you got to put yourself out there. You're you're building a brand. There's so much that I think that gets lost on this younger generation. And you would think in the age of social media, people understand uh, it's more than than an Instagram post and a tweet. You got to yourself be present, period. Uh, But again, I. Like what we're seeing so far, of course, we haven't seen any team stuff, and I'm eager to see a scrimmage. I'd heard they may do it in a stadium. They may not do it in a stadium. They're still kind of deciding that. Uh, we may just do it out there on the practice fields. I know Leach liked to do it in the stadium to kind of make it as game-like uh, as possible. But we've got some uh, you know, pretty good uh, practice fields out there behind the seal complex too. So we'll see how things go with all that. But uh, we'll be back here on Wednesday and kind of talk about what we've learned. If you're not a member at jeanspage.com, come check us out. We are the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. If you're looking for uh, books, and I'll tell you this, I was informed over the weekend the last case of Stark Villains has been ordered out of the warehouse. There are a handful that are still available through the website. That's it. If you don't go through the website, and that's the dogpilethebook.com website, then you're going to have to buy it at a bookstore. And, it, again, it is going out of print this year. We'll probably bring some back in the future. But if you don't have Stark Villains, you need to complete your collection. You need to make a move now. Uh, I know Bookmart and Cafe has some, and Campus Bookmart has a few. But uh, I would say there's probably less than 40 or 50 out there in the market right now. Of course, that book's been out a couple years now. But uh, I learned more writing that book than any of the rest of them. And so if you need it, there's a handful, probably less than a half dozen, in the warehouse or at the publisher. So go to dogpiledbook.com. You can get Dogpile, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Alpha Dogs too. Very, very close to having the supply exhausted. Plenty of Dogpile and a good bit of Flim Flam. And I have people all the time that I go out and I hadn't read the book, I hadn't read the book. Okay, read the book. Okay, read the book. You can go, go get it today and uh, get signed copies, of course, 
at dogpilethebook.com. Bloomsville Leander, of course, always available uh, through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com, and it's even an e-reader. How about that? The only one of my books it is. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You'd be glad you did. I, it seems like every week somebody hits me up asking for that address, and I appreciate that. I'm more than happy to share it with you, but it's uh, pretty easy to find, StarkVillains.com. That's it for today. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.